Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's new daily show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on the facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to local officials and experts on COVID-19 and community actions related to it. If you have questions for our guests, please email them to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. You can find a list of upcoming guests on our Facebook page or on our website, kmxt.org. Audio from each day's program will be posted on the website. Hey, good morning. Thank you for tuning in today. We've got a number of guests in the studio, one on the phone, a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to dive right in, try and answer as many questions as we can. And today we're talking about fishing, the heartbeat of our community. We have with us Matt Moore from APS, Paul Lumsden from Trident, Julie Bonney from the Alaska Groundfish Data Bank, and Mike Frisero, owner of the Miss Gina, who's on the phone. They've all been heavily involved in the Kodiak seafood industry's response to COVID-19, how to keep product flowing, how to keep people safe for weeks, and they're here today to explain some of that to you and answer your questions. Imagine there may be quite a lot. We've got some questions already been submitted. Please email lowdown at kmxt.org or call us 486-319-3181. Somebody will pass the question in, and we'll try to get your questions answered before the end of the show. We have Talk of Alaska at the top of the hour, so we have 45 minutes to uh, talk about the fishing industry. Good morning, all. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come in and, and chat with the community about what's going on. Um Big, huge response from the processors first. Let's talk about that. How long have we been involved in preparing for COVID-19 and what kind of preparations have been made at the ground level to keep people working and keep products safe? Well, thank you for having us here today. Appreciate the time. And this is Paul. We uh, This COVID-19, when this, when this first took place in China, it, it directly impacted us. You know, a lot of the production that we do as a sector gets sold or shipped to China. So we were, you know, exposed to that on an initial level pretty early. And when cases started coming to the United States, it was it was mission critical for us as a primary um, uh, essential business to, to in place to put in place protocols and to do everything we could to did, protect the safety. Did your markets go away? Uh, they did not go away. They definitely, we, we sell and ship products around the globe. And, and basically, almost every, every customer we have has been impacted by this. Um, There's pretty huge transportation issues getting product in and out of China. China was shut down for several months as a whole. And a lot of the factories, there's been pretty major market disruptions because of this. And some of that is starting to rebound in China, just barely starting. Um, Germany, Japan, Korea still heavily impacted right now. So there's there's been, as we were talking earlier, every avenue of our day-to-day world has been disrupted by this in one way or another. So because it occurred in China, it gave us lead time to prepare on this side for what was happening. Um, you... you uh, both have offices out of Alaska too, right? Yeah, our 
our headquarters is based in Ballard, just out of Seattle, and that was ground zero in the U.S. for quite a while. So, you know, when before this was even really on the radar for Alaska, our my corporation was fighting it in Seattle. So we were implementing procedures and protocols company-wide, globally, and in response to this. So I feel like we have been ahead of the curve um, trying to prepare. I don't think you can ever be prepared enough for something that we're faced with, but we are actively and have been pursuing preventative measures for months now. It's similar, Mike. Uh, this is Matt. We, you know, we, we saw it very early in the disruption of the marketplace in February. And when our Seattle office started uh, feeling the effects in, in the Seattle area, we, you know, corporately, we, we imposed a, a travel freeze um, on, I think, the 5th or 6th of March at a corporate level. They closed the, the Seattle office to reduce impacts down there. Um, and, and, you know, so we were immediately kind of teed up to put things in place here locally. You know, fortunately, we had an, uh, a fishery that was already up and operating. The, the town was uh, taking fish and the crews were working. The plants were busy. Um, and these plants are already um, pr producing ready-to-eat products. And so the sanita sanitation and the hygiene levels inside the factories is already pretty significant. But um, as, you know, the news was coming out, we knew that we, we, um, we had the potential to be impacted here locally. And so w we were just continuing to add, you know, um, as information was available, you know, we started, um, you know, increased sanitation procedures. We closed the factory to all visitors early in, in March. We had uh, travel bans and um, we immediately put in some, uh, at a corporate level, 14-day quarantine periods, I think on the 9th or 10th of March. And so we just were taking those things and proactively putting them in place um, just to add to some of the things that uh, the factory already does in terms of protecting food safety under both the federal and the state regulations. I mean, I think fortunately for Kodiak, being identified as a uh, essential business sector, um, I think it made it incumbent upon us to try to really take um, as many steps as we could to not only protect our crew and our markets and our, and our customers, but also protect the relationship that we have with our harvesters and how we operate within the community. Um, Kodiak's lifeblood and in, in the economic engines all built around uh, the harvesting and the processing sector, harvesting fish. and so. Um, we felt it was just really important to do everything we could to, to continue to make sure that vessels had a safe place to deliver uh, with appropriate protocols and that we could keep the crew working and keep those paychecks rolling because our local economy is really dependent upon it. And so um, anything um, that we can do to uh, protect that was really, I think, essential for us as a sector. Um, on, on a regular basis, all these plants compete at a very high level. And uh, we compete locally, we can compete on the global market, but under these types of circumstances, everybody's really been working together quite well. And, you know, we, we're sharing information. We've been meeting collectively, um, you know, with the ESC and making sure that uh, we have things in place um, to do what we need to do. So you have a processors association, right, that uh, you all belong to? So um, all the processors in Kodiak are members of Alaska Groundfish Databank. So 
we, um, they, as individual companies for this particular issue, have been coordinating one-on-one, -on -one, not through my organization. This is Julie. But we do um, try to keep on the front of some of the messaging in Kodiak and making sure that, uh, and we get a lot of calls in my office, so we tried to educate the public on a regular basis. And um, we also um, came together and put a kind of a community message out so that we could put a full picture on what's actually happening on the processing side, uh, which uh, is supposed is um, posted on the economic web page. It's uh, uh, that the uh, that's operating under the EA ESC. Um, I guess I don't have the web um, address. Oh, it's uh, www.kodiakeconomictaskforce.com. Right. And it basically talks about um, what, uh, you know, the, 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 our number one goal is obviously to protect the community, um, how the mandates apply to the processing sector, what the mitigation factors are that the processing plants are using, and also gives the community an idea of what's coming in terms of workflow, in terms of additional uh, workers coming into town. At this point, across all the processors, which include uh, North Pacific, International Seafoods, Icicle Seafoods, Ocean Beauty Seafoods, Pacific Seafoods, and Trident Seafoods, we don't expect any um, additional workers coming into town for the months of April and May, except for a few small um, exceptions. So I think the exceptions is about eight workers in the month of April and less than 15 additional workers coming in May, bearing no unforeseen circumstances. Let's, let's slow down a little bit. When we, you're normally heavily regulated by the state and the feds, correct, at the plants. When the COVID outbreak starts to happen in China, you start to make some local changes, either at a corporate level or at a local local level, to try and deal with what may be coming to make it make things a little safer. But then, isn't there some intervention at some point where the state is, is requiring you to do more to prove that you know as critical infrastructure and to keep things safe that there's things that you need to do yeah and we were we were even before it was regulated by the state we as a company we had a COVID-19 response plan submitted and that was also shared with all of our um, public officials mayor fire chief everyone had a copy of that and we've discussed that um, I even shared it with some of the borough assembly members just because there was questions and, and it. So, yes, before it was even required, I can speak for myself and our company. We had a response plan, you know, defining quarantine procedures and what we were, what we were going to do to prevent and also to mitigate if, if an you know, emergency situation did occur. So that's that's been in the works for months and has we were had that done way before any state implemented deadlines. And the other thing that we've, we've, myself personally, dating back to end of January, early March, had biweekly meetings with my management team. We have a COVID response team on site, and sometimes we're meeting daily, at least twice a week, and we're going over action plans, going over inventories of our sanitation materials, our face masks, um, 
daily we are implementing and changing things even as late as yesterday i mean as as things as as we learn more and more about this virus we're changing and and hey this didn't work what can we do to to mitigate the traffic control going to the break room you know constantly we're doing that um, because it's not as simple as hey this is what we're doing and we're done it, we need, it needs to be a living procedure that we're continually as as risk increases we're increasing and in my mind nothing is enough right now we need to try and cover everything that we can so each organization and down the line each vessel has to submit a plan for how they're going to deal with the virus as it comes and we're hearing the it's changed a little bit but why is it an individual plan are the plants that different that we can't have a common plan that would work for everybody or is, or is there something specific to your organization that makes you want to do something different well there are guidelines for sure but you know i haven't been in every factory in alaska but i've worked across the state pretty extensively and every state and every every factory and every community does have different restrictions and different positives and negatives in terms of looking at it through this virus so there are guidelines that need to be followed no doubt but it's not as simple as saying this is what has to be done because that might not be enough in certain scenarios is that yeah 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 it's you know and it's been evolving since you know early on and i think uh, i know for north pacific our um, res covid response plan is is i think in its fourth version right now because it's information's coming either out of cdc or the federal government or new guidelines or mandates uh, from the state we, we continue to update those as, as you know it's like the mask situation that's changed so much in the last 10 days 10 days ago people weren't really um you know looking at masks as a as part of that uh suite of things that you use collectively to prevent uh, transmission of the virus but but now it seems most uh um specialists or um you know people are recommending that we should use masks as much as possible and so you know we've kind of changed in some of those protocols but it's a it's a living document that you had to, like Paul's correct you got to keep adding to it as new information comes and is available you you change and, and make sure that things are in place and, you, and the education piece is just so important to keep um, you know working with the crew I and mean, we have uh, um, updates in our weekly newsletter we have daily recording updates at the beginning of every shift the supervisors are reminding the crew and updating them what's going on and so making sure that everybody understands it um, to the same degree is, is really Im important. And, um, you know, the office staff, every call that we have come in when, you know, we're trying to make sure that our harvesters that are looking for settlements or looking to set up deliveries or dock time, trying to explain to them all the nuances that we, we need to collectively follow together um, to successfully, you know, protect our community and our industry. So on the ground, then, it, it's, it sounds to me like inside the facility, there's some changes with traffic, with closing traffic off and with keeping some of the workers that come in safe. The, the response that you've had to do, though, to, to control things you didn't have to control in the past is kind of, seems to me like how you're, you need to react. So what kind of things have you had to do now to make your facility safer? Well, let's just start in the beginning of the shift. That's as easy, easiest starting point. 
every employee when they before they clock in, we're we're taking a digital thermometer, um, this digital thermometer check, and I was apprehensive at first because that's that's kind of an invasion of someone's privacy, but every one of our team members was excited. I mean, it was, it, and I, I was fortunate. I was glad because I didn't, I didn't want to be putting people in an awkward situation. But before they, before they even clock in, we have someone set up full PPE, and they are spraying down everyone's hands with Alpat and a sanitizer. Then they go to a digital um, thermometer screening station with someone with full PPE face shield. They take their body temperature. There's someone, another person is checking them off on our roster so we can ensure that we screen everyone. And if they pass, then they can go check in and um, clock in and proceed with their normal work day. So that's, that's step one. And the, the rest of our actions are, like I said, we, we're, we're mitigating flow to and from the break room to, to um, you know, reduce exposure. In the galley, where we only seat a certain amount of people, they need to be sp every t every table is now numbered. You used to be able to come in and sit, sit with your friends. Now um, there's someone with a counter. We're only allowing a certain amount of people in the galley at, at one time. They're sitting at a table. Um, they're seated and they're spaced out. And when that table's done, it's sanitized right away, and then it can be cleared to set the next group. Um, you can't even get a cup of coffee in my break room now. We have a food handler card per, per food permit card holder that's handing you a cup of coffee or a cup of water i mean it's it's we've regulated and try and try and try to reduce almost any and all exposure that we can obviously it still is a seafood processing plant we can't there are areas still that we are trying to work on but we've we've gone to a high degree of we've dove into every scenario that we, that we can our pro our fishing vessels are not allowed to come off the boat now when they deliver they get handed a letter from me explaining the scenario they get handed the fish ticket paperwork through a, a drop bag a, a line on a on a on a pole crew members skippers aren't allowed off the dock we have drop zones for groceries and parts so if someone needs to deliver something they don't even come onto our property they deliver it to a drop zone dock foreman picks it up and we crane it down to the boat so we've, we've cut off all access to the plant, offices, dock. We're communicating via phone or email. We've tried to mitigate all of our exposures. We have three full-time security guards that are, you know, walking around, making sure that vessels are adhering to these policies. Um, you know, these are human beings. We can't, they have, you know, our, our processor workers are, you know, they get off work and they have friends, so we, we can't control every aspect of their life but we have security guards monitoring them walking to and from the galley trying to ensure that they're doing they're adhering to the social distancing rules we're not perfect but we're really in order to comply and and provide a safe work environment we're doing everything we possibly can we've really taken a deep dive so it's been a while since i've been in a processing plant but the proximity always seemed to be um, people were pretty, work pretty close together normally. So is there more spacing now? So like I just described several things that we're doing to mitigate spacing. And I actually have ordered a, a bunch of plexiglass shields. So we are going to be putting up some, some shield barriers in, in the galley and in different areas that people are in regularly. Um, right now we're fortunate things are pretty slow. We do, we do have, we are, 
trying to space out employees as much as we can, but in the end, it's it's not realistic for everyone to be six feet apart every moment of the, of the day. So a big part of this is big, big tasks that we have is training our crew on proper procedures, cleanliness, and, and working with them to mitigate these issues on and off the clock. Um, have you had people who've come to work and they have an elevated temperature and you send them home? We have had three people with elevated temperatures and we are contracted with a, a third party health force department that has on-call doctors 24 hours a day. So we have a, a very clear and developed guidelines to where if someone shows elevated temperatures or other sickness related signs, they it's they're supposed to be escorted. They are escorted off our property with the train staff right away. Any area that they have come in contact with has been sanitized. They are, if they are an employee that we are housing, we have quarantine quarters set up that they are immediately, you know, escorted to. They have a sheet of paper that they fill out any dietary restrictions and, and they also include anything that they need from their room. So we will go get, you know, toiletries, yeah. linens, things like that. We have a, a meal meal procedure, so we don't. If someone's vegetarian, we know what what type of meals to serve them. Um, the three individuals that have had positive temperatures were both local employees, so they were escorted off the property to their vehicle, and they went home and were self quarantined. They call their health force hotline, communicate with the doctor once a day. And right now, they're, all, they're actually all three of them were on the same day, and they're on day six, and they have had not had any positive temperatures. So it was more than likely a false read. One said he was just, it's a skin temperature reading. So one said he was standing in front of a heater, then he walked oh. into the break room to get scanned. And so <laughs> now he's got two weeks off. It's, it's a set, you know, for <laughs> that first, that first screening is, is seven days, no matter what mandatory. And they're checking in with the doctor every single day. And after that seven day period, the doctor is going to figure out it, it's up to the doctor's call. If yeah. it was, if, it, if they felt that it was a serious concern, they would have been asked to go see, see a medical provider right away and get a test. But we, t we took it very seriously, sanitized everything. They've been self-quarantined, and it's up to the doctor to make the call when they're going to be allowed to come back to work or not. All three of the employees were locals. They've been here since early January. I have a very high degree of confidence that, that they don't have COVID-19, but we've tra treated it and have policies set in place that it doesn't matter if you test, and it's, if you test high, this is a protocol. Yeah. To, to, like I said, every degree isolation room set up meal plan scheduled so and we've also had three other employees that had flu-like symptoms throughout this year that have um, been tested for COVID-19 and we followed full quarantine procedures and all three of those have come back negative so we've had zero cases at the plant level and are taking it very seriously great man how, how about things at your plant you know, we've, we've been doing the, the pre-screening for a while, and, and um, you know, there's some questions. Do you, you know, do you have a cough? Do you have a shortness of breath? Uh, we take the temperature. Have you had any exposures to um, people that have tested positive? Um, and so we, we haven't had anybody that's uh, been sent home because of a temperature reading. We've had a, a couple of employees that um, have talked to their supervisor before coming in 
and said, hey, I'm not feeling good. I got a cough. Um, I'm just not. And, and so we're just, we, you know, that's part of the, our procedure is we're letting the crew know if you're not feeling good, uh, you got a cough, you think you anything's going on, call in. You have to call in. You got to check in with your supervisor. You got to check in with HR, and uh, and then we're documenting that. But we've we haven't had anybody with a temperature that we've had to send home. But we've had a couple people that we've um, that just checked in and said, hey, I've got a cough. I'm not feeling good. And and I think it's more of the the, the regular wintertime uh, cold f flu type. So have you closed your dock as well? We, we've, you know, we've we've closed, uh, uh, we've posted the plant um, for no visitors, uh, no no visitors unless you've got written permission to come on. We've got, um, you know, we're asking uh, the fleet uh, to the greatest degree to minimize their exposures from the dock. We, and so there's, it's a balancing act. All this is a balancing act about how do you um, take all the necessary precautions. Um, to mitigate things and minimize exposures, but still keep some normalcy in our lives. And so we're trying to find that balance point between still, um, you know, keeping business running and unloading fish and processing fish, um, but still taking all the precautions. So we're, we're, we're in a very similar situation as Paul, but like you, you talked earlier, you know, there's some basic uh, guidelines that have been developed and there's some mandates um, there's templates and how, um, you know, there's on how to handle these things, but every facility, just like every vessel, has some specific nuances that are slightly different. And so these plans are, are tailored more specifically to each plant. And, you know, one of the things that I think uh, has been really um, a big deal is that there's uh, been some industry task force and working groups that have had great leadership and a lot of uh, effort and devotion and that have helped formalize these plans, uh, communicate um, w within the industry and between different sectors and, 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 and then from these working groups and task force, things are flowing down and we're trying to make sure that um, everybody's involved in what needs to be done, that uh, the plants are involved, the vessels are involved and that we can communicate to um, the communities um, across the state because each reason, region in the state has got some different nuances. You know, what works in Kodiak is maybe a little bit different than what happens or works in Copper River or Bristol Bay. Um, and so... Well, we are at an advantage because we're already operating. Well, we're al already operating and we were operating as things were evolving and so we've been able to kind of tailor things, um, you know, as it's come along. We, we have as a community in an island some great advantages because we are very well physically distanced and spatially distanced from the mainland. We've got a huge moat of water around us that helps protect us in certain ways. And so we have some real advantages, um, you know, compared to some, some place that's on the road system where you don't have um, that, you know, so it's just, but you still have a flow coming in here, and there's a critical flow. People need to be able to get to town and, or get off the island if they got medical issues or whatever. And so, um, but there are some definite advantages to be on the island for sure. Now, is is the is the workforce for both of you essentially already here? Yeah, for, for me, yes. Uh, this is Paul. We we have well over 75 percent of our summer staffing crew here that have been here since early january um 
traditionally this time of year, a lot of our team goes out on vacation because they've had a long winter and, and worked a lot. But with um, travel restrictions and uncertainty of you know quality of life in other parts of the country that they would be going on vacation, a lot of them have elected just to stay, and which is great for us because we have a reliable, healthy workforce that's been on site since January. We we will likely be bringing in a certain percentage of our uh, another group of people end of June and early July, um, not a huge amount, um, but we don't have any any volume of people that'll be here within the next two months. Um, we have, you know, one, we have a couple people, one foreman, one factory maintenance guy that'll be coming in, you know, between now and I don't know, probably early May. So we do have a couple exceptions and I, in talking to Julie, Julie's coordinated this with most of, most of the plants. I think that we're all sort of in a similar state. There's a lot of rumors going around. I've had many people call me asking if we've flown in 300 people last week. And, and I mean, the answer is no. Last week we actually did fly 29 of our employees. We chartered a flight and flew people that were in Kodiak that had been here all winter directly to Sandpoint. So we had a, fl a chartered flight land so these individuals could leave Kodiak, which is a safe processing community, and get, and get flown directly to Sandpoint so they bypassed any hub. Planes were san plane was sanitized. And those people, those our crew that went to Sandpoint, also they're in the middle of a 14-day quarantine in Sandpoint because the local community there was alarmed, you know, afraid that we were going to bring in a workforce. Right. And so we're doing everything we possibly can to mitigate exposure, mitigate exposure, and 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 proper hygiene in the factory level. Now we have not and will not be bringing in anyone until end of July, end of June, early July. And um, we have a we have a great team on site that's been here since January, and I'm very very happy to have to say that. Yeah, yeah, we we've got a uh, you know we're really fortunate, and and uh, we've got a hundred percent local workforce and um, a pretty long standing crew um, at at APS, and you know so we haven't had uh, any plans. We don't have any plans bringing anybody in. Most of the crew takes some time over the winter, but. The, the bulk of the crew was all here by uh, the middle of January. Um, right now, I think the, the only people that we're expecting back, we had three um, longstanding crew that had a um, the death in the family, and, and they're currently, they went to the Philippines to deal with some family matters, and, and they're, um, they're kind of stuck there right now. They're trying to get back, and whenever they do get back, they'll be quarantined for 14 days. But uh, we, we've got, uh, we don't have anybody that's scheduled to come in in the next um, three or four months. So we're, we're, we're pretty, pretty much a local-based crew. Does just to add to that, I mean, we, we had a conversation across all the processors in Kodiak, and they're all similarly situated where they either, they have their crew in town, the majority are resident workforce, and so they don't see anything different in terms of those other processors in Kodiak. So they're all similarly situated where they may have one or two or three people that they're going to add, but overall the travel is minimal. Okay. Final little area I want to go in with you folks um, is sanitation. It, are you seeing um, shortages? You're now using uh, masks, uh, doing more hand sanitizing, uh, doing 
more? I, I don't know. Are, is, is there a shortage of anything that you can't get your hands on? You know, we, we've got, um, um, the, I think from sanit the sanitation chemical side of things, we're in really good shape there. We haven't had a problem getting the, the ball pet and some of the other things that we use inside the factory for. Um, the, the one thing that, um, you know, because we have certain areas in the facility that produce ready-to-eat um, products, um, we require uh, surgical type masks in those areas um, and that's just normal it's been that way for 10 or 15 years um, there's some other areas of the of the factory where um, we recommend people that to wear them they don't have to and there's some and then we give employees a choice if they want to wear them and we've got a pretty good stock but we've had um, we've had masks back ordered for over well over two months now and we suspect that um, it's probably going to be a while before we get those um, we are, um, we've got uh, a handful of um, people that have volunteered that have just been, you see it on the news. I mean, we've had a couple of um, our folks in the office and, and uh, you know, a few other real special people that have put time into making homemade masks and we're, we're going to um, make those available to the crew um, just to, to kind of follow some of the guidelines and the recommendations that are, that are out there. And so, uh, so far, we haven't had any problem. We're, we're doing pretty good on that, but uh, we're watching it really close. Yeah, and masks would probably be the, the one area that we, we as well have had masks back ordered for months, and that's, you know, the whole world is consuming those products right now, and we're, you know, after the last, um, you know, suggested use of masks update on Friday, we're, we're going through our, our policies and, and trying to figure out a, a solution for that, and that's in the works. So masks are probably the... The biggest issue okay julie uh let's talk to you a little bit about um how you how you're involved in the things that you're seeing changing so um the one thing that i bring to the table that these guys don't is um i've been involved in a, a work group for harvesting vessels and so there's been a, a universal plan that's been um uh, developed for all catcher vessels and tenders across the state of Alaska and these are for the smaller um, vessels. Uh, Mike has also been involved in that and uh, the goal is to so the processors have, I guess have been ahead of the game in terms of the mandates for the state and the vessels are catching up right now and and so for the, I work for the trawl vessels which are in operation fishing now so they're kind of ahead of the curve in terms of the mandates so and the quarantines so how does it work I mean what what is the mandate actually from the state as far as the vessels concerned I mean what do they have to do to comply with um, so so there, there's uh, the Mandate 10 and the Mandate 12, so they both deal with travel restrictions. Yeah. And so if they're traveling into the state of Alaska or across different ports within Alaska, they have to submit a COVID-19 mitigation plan. And so uh, which uh, some of the sectors in the fishing industry really haven't been fishing yet. And so that means that like IFQ participants or uh, uh, salmon fishermen are going to need to develop a mitigation plan for their vessel. And the mitigation plan deals with quarantines, uh, 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 sanitation, 
all those kind of issues. And so there's been a guide put together by a medical professional for the catcher vessels, which Mike calls the universal plan. And the goal is to push that out. It was, uh, what, uh, approved or agreed to by all of these different harvesting groups across the state on Sunday, and it's just become available. So it gives you guidelines in terms of what you can do, because obviously every vessel in the state is different. You have the uh, jiggers and the drifters in Bristol Bay compared to a trawler that's 100 foot in Kodiak. So you have different um, assets that you can bring to the table in terms of what your mitigation plan should look like. Okay, so who's who's put together the universal plan then? Um, Mike, you want to help me out here? Sure, yeah. Dr. Ann Jaris, who's a recognized uh, maritime medical expert, uh, has been in the business of developing uh, medical procedures for, um, for the maritime industry for many years, her husband before her. And um, they Discovery, have an outfit called Discovery Health, and their website is very informative as well. And um, she has been the driving force behind it. It's basically a medical resource, this document. Um, it, it provides medical guidance to catcher and tender vessels engaged in commercial fishing and utilizing guidance provided by the Center for Disease Control and the United States Coast Guard to control the spread of COVID-19 on board vessels. And so it's got a lot of procedures and community protection and boatyard and harbor and, you know, a lot of aspects to it beyond just medical guidance. But it right now will be what I'm calling, yeah, I call it the unified plan. I'm hoping that catches on. And I'm also considering it the baseline for all vessel operations uh, in Alaska. So this is generally a, a general outline of what the vessel has to do to comply to, to continue to fish. Give us some specifics, if you can, on how does it really affect each vessel, or maybe the ones that you, you have knowledge about. What do you have to do differently that you didn't do before? Well, well go, ahead, go ahead, Mike. Julie. Go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead. I'll talk up. Well, it, the, the, I think the uh, main portion is the preparation section that deals with the idea that any um, person that's going to be moving onto a platform needs to be quarantined for 14 days at home before they travel is one of the recommendations. The other is that when you arrive at your destination, then you are also quarantined for 14 days. When you are quarantined um, on your arrival point, you basically can work but you'd be basically the vessel's quarantine, so to speak, in terms of keeping all the personnel on the vessel, monitoring their medical you know, temperatures and whatnot, and implementing additional sanitation rules for the vessel. You wanna to add to that, Mike? Um, just that, uh, <clears throat> in my opinion, and this is, you know, the state has been asking for this work product. Uh, it's going to be the reference point and it's likely to be uh, incorporated at least by reference or become the governor's mandate. Uh, I don't mean to speak for the governor, but there, I know that the people working at the state task force level have been waiting for stakeholders input. And this is coming from, you know, the group they're looking at uh, for this information. So I believe it's going to be the, uh, the Bible uh, for this, uh, this year and beyond for dealing with COVID-19 and, it's it's uh, comprehensive, 
and it's uh, you know there's a lot of resources in it, and it's you know primarily how to manage uh, and monitor um, onboard health, and also it's you know probably sixty uh, percent prevention and forty percent response, uh, but it's a it's a it's a great tool. It also has just so everybody knows, uh, it has uh, a group of Excel spreadsheets uh, as an attachment that have. Um, basically a list of uh, procedures and resources that uh, vessels will need, for example, for offloading or docking or, um, you know, boatyard uh, type things. And it's not, uh, it's not going to work everywhere, but it's, uh, it's going to be a great document for boats uh, operating out of Kodiak. No question about that. So are you, is there, uh, is there a lot of participation? I mean, I, when I, her first heard well julie just said you know the processors are well ahead in this game and preparations and the other the the vessels are are slow to the game Uh, is is it because of all of the additional requirements that um, it's taken time for you to catch up um well i would say i would say it's more about the fact that the processors have had the highest standards for food safety for so long and also at least westward from Kodiak, have dealt with Mars and SIRS and Ebola crisis and operated successfully through all of those concerns using international crews. And so uh, the vessels in Alaska, the smaller boats, have never had to deal with infectious disease procedures. And so this is, you know, the first document of its kind. Uh, and Go ahead, Julie. Well, and I was just going to say that um, on the processing, the state mandate dealing with travel came out, I believe it was March 25th. So the, the, the processors were dealing with, understood the mandates all along before they even went into place and so were well positioned because of the conversations with the state. While on the vessel side, they didn't really react until the mandates got published. So, that, so one was thinking ahead and the other was catching up after it was required. Okay. So what kind of what kind of changes are you going to see in the industry then Mike I mean you're you're the head of a group that's uh, sort of spearheading Bristol Bay so how is it affecting the Bristol Bay fleet Yeah well, that's a very good question I would say at a very minimum any Bristol Bay fishermen uh, we might even want to have a Bristol Bay specific show at some point um, primarily what our message, and I'm speaking for the BBRSTA at this point, the Bristol Bay Regional Seafood Development Association, which I was president of for the last uh, three of the last four years, currently not a board member, but I am on committees and I'm uh, considered a fleet representative. And so I would say with great uh, confidence that the primary message right now is stand by, do not go to Bristol Bay. Uh, and um, that we are developing a plan, regionally specific enhancements to the unified plan, and we're hoping to be published as an addendum to this plan uh, and incorporated by reference again into the mandate. Um, If those two things happen, then all of this becomes enforceable by law law to some degree, and um, at least enforceable. Uh, And so we're looking for fishermen that are looking to go to Bristol Bay to wait until at least May 1st with a possible extension to May 15. And early arrival is probably the biggest threat. Early uncontrolled arrival by outside non-locals into the watershed is probably the biggest issue uh, 
that we're trying to prevent at this time while we get our plan um, formalized. Gotcha. Um, the there was a question from somebody who wanted to know how to get the document to get the plan. Um, I, I believe it's on the ESC website. Um, it's but, on the Kodiak Economic Task Force website. Right. And so, and that was just sent to the person managing the website yesterday. So I'm hoping it's posted now. Okay. So check there. Um, Matt, I got a question from a, a fisherman wanting to know about black cod and halibut prices and I don't I don't want to let the question go but should I I, I think we let that question go well I, I, I think I think that um, you know I, I mean this this thing is affecting um, not only Kodiak it's not just affecting um, Alaska it's affecting um, the whole world. This is this is an, is this has had global impacts, and so uh, you know we saw a softening of, of the ground fish markets, you know, in February um, and through March, and just to kind of like Paul was talking about a, a slow flow, um, but it's having it's having an impact, major impact on black cod and halibut. I mean, you don't have halibut is primarily a restaurant business. Um, if you don't have restaurants open in the U.S it really diminishes um, your market opportunity. And so it's, it's extremely challenging uh, for the industry right now. Black cod uh, is a similar deal. Um, the, the large sizes that are used in the U.S. are primarily in the restaurant trade. Um, the Japanese economy has slowed down. Um, the economy in Europe has slowed down. And so, you know, um, it's, it's going to have, and it will have for a while, effects on the um, wholesale market, and it's going to have an effect on ex-vessel prices. And so um, prices are definitely down. And, um, but, you know, to the greatest degree, we, we, try to, we need to try to continue to do the, the business we need to do, catch fish and process it. And it's just, you know, guys, um, you know, our, our fleet's been calling, and we're trying to share the price with them uh, just to provide them information because they've got a business plan that they need to construct and follow, and it's, it really comes down to the economics of it. So it's going to remain challenging. Um, something like Copper River uh, salmon is going to be extremely challenging for that region because that's a, you know, a high dollar item that it flows primarily into the fresh market and the restaurant market, and, and obviously it's going to be a, a, a big challenge there. Yeah. Are there anything, any major causes for concern that you have that you, you feel like um, are, are your biggest challenges to continuing to work? I, I, I don't, I think that if um, everybody steps up, you know, I mean, I think there's been a tremendous amount of effort uh, within the industry, and I think the, we're getting good guidance out of the state um, and, and with the mandates, but it needs to be a collective effort at all levels. Um, and that's the, I think the thing that I probably worry the most about is that if 90% of the <clears throat> participants, your employees or your fishermen or, you know, in your social circles uh, are compliant, um, but you've got, um, you've got a couple of, you've got a small percentage that isn't, that, that can really 
affect things. And so we really need to continue um, through multiple ways to try to educate people so that they're not only applying these things um, at home or at work, but they're applying it 24-7. And that, you know, we, we need to really um, use all of the, the guidance to try to be effective. And um, Thanks. Uh, Mike, anything closing from you? Oh, just that uh, anybody uh, concerned about Bristol Bay should uh, take a pause. Um, don't uh, don't and don't even consider entering the watershed till all the information is out. And uh, I would say the motto for this year is the later the better. And um, you know, basically, all stop. You know, we're at an all stop for the moment. We need to get organized and protect the communities, uh, or we're going to have some. Uh, real issues well thank you uh, thank you all for coming in take thank you for sharing what your uh, experience on the ground has been and it's been really informative thank you for tuning in today medical show tomorrow tune in if you have questions send us a question to lowdown at kmxt.org have a nice day thank you all thank you mike